grateful to be speaking to you this morning on this Mother's Day. So I am a mother of six children, and I remember when we first got married, Pastor Bubba told me, we're going to wait five years. I'm like, five years? How about three? Then I talked him down to two. Well, a year after we were married, I got pregnant. So <laughs> it's not too hard to talk guys into that, if you know what I mean. So I became a mother, but I remember uh, when I was wanting to become a mother and dreaming about it, and even when I was pregnant, I had this little picture of a little boy or a little girl. I really didn't care what I wanted. Well, actually, that's a lie. I wanted a girl first. <laughs> then I had a boy and a boy and a boy and a boy and a boy. But um, I have this picture, you know, you're just holding that little child's hand and you're skipping through the park and they're beautiful and they love you and you love them. And how many of you know that's not exactly how it happens? No one told me how much work it was. No one told me that I would never sleep again. No one told me that I would clean up a lot of poop and a lot of throw up. <laughs> so I had that picture. And I heard stories about mothers saying, oh, when that baby came out, I just fell in love. Well, Pastor Zach, who pastors our Crowley Church, is my oldest son. He'll be 32, or our oldest son, he'll be 32 next month. When he came out, I didn't have that feeling of being so in love. I was one of those stupid moms who decided to have a baby without an epidural. I must be a fool. But I did do it. So the moment he came out, I was not in thinking how in love I was. I was thinking, thank God that's over with. <laughs> that's the only thought that went through my mind. That was the first thought. Thank God, and I'm terrified to have any more. Maybe we'll adopt the rest. Um, but the second thought I had, now there's just something about that firstborn. You love all of your children, Luke and Olivia. I love you. I adore you. I love my other ones. But that firstborn is the one that makes you a mother. So my first thought was, I remember thinking over and over, I'm a mother. I am a mother. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm a mother and I, I don't know what to do with this creature. <laughs> So you look at this newborn baby, and it's so helpless, and you think, if I do not feed this creature, it will die. If I do not take care of it, it will die. And that's an overwhelming weight that comes upon you. And so that was my first thought, um, is that I was a mother. But one thought I didn't have as I took that baby home, and I'm just overwhelmed thinking how to take care of it, was that I'm taking this baby home, and one day he's going to leave me. I didn't know, I mean, I guess intellectually I knew that, but I didn't know I wouldn't mother him for the rest of my life. I would be his mother for the rest of his life, but I would not mother him. I was simply training him and teaching him and discipling him so that one day I could launch him out. And actually, that was a painful process, not just the raising, but the launching out. Because I remember when Zach and Claire got married, I had this little jealous thing come over me. I wanted to tell her, even though I adored her, and she had babysat for our younger children since she was 14 years old, that you stole my son. <laughs> but it was the proper thing to do. I had to launch him out. I had to let him go. I had to pull back from giving him advice, because I still wanted to give him advice. And sometimes today, I still do want to kick his butt. <laughs> but it's not my place anymore. I'm not mothering him anymore. 
So those were some of my first thoughts, but also someone, no one ever told me that as a mom, there were some phrases that I would be saying a million, billion, gazillion times, if that's even a word. Back then, technology wasn't as good, but if I had the technology of today, I would have got a little tape recorder, and it would have said things like this, no, no, make your bed, brush your teeth, stop biting your breather. These things that we say over and over to our children. How many of you know those phrases? And it starts when they're very young. Of course, the newborn baby, you don't say anything to them. But, oh, sweet baby, I just love you. You're so cute. Please sleep through the night. Uh, but as they become about 18 months old, all of a sudden they're touching things they shouldn't touch. They're doing things they shouldn't do. And there's that little spanking, no, no, uh-uh. I don't know if that word's in the dictionary, but I sure use it a lot. Ah, no, stop, don't, you're going to get hurt. And so when they're younger, these phrases we say over and over in a tape recorder, I would have just press, let's see, brush your teeth. Why should I brush my teeth? I'm going to eat something in a little while. Make your bed. Why should I make your bed? My bed. I'm going to sleep in it tonight. But what are we doing through all this process of telling them these things as mom? We're training them. We're discipling them. We're disciplining them. That word discipleship comes from the word discipline. And I can't help think, but that's what God is also doing with us. He's our mother. He's our father. He's everything. He's training us just like we train our children. And sometimes when you're training, it's not fun, right? I remember some of my children who are more strong-willed, it seemed like I had to spank their little hands or their little bottoms all day long, somewhere between the age of one and four, right? <laughs> but when you train them, if you stay on top of it, they begin to mature and they begin to learn. You don't stick a knife in the outlet. <laughs> Some of them are easier to train than others. But God is doing that with us too. He is training us. And the writers of Hebrews talks about discipline and what discipline is. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse, starting at verse 5, it says, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. That's what we're constantly doing with our children, isn't it? Bringing correction, bringing direction, bringing training and discipline. Don't give up, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. As a mama, if I didn't discipline my children, if I didn't teach them, I wouldn't be a good mama. It's not always fun to say those phrases over and over and teach them and direct them and correct them again and again and again. But if I didn't, it means that they're illegitimate and not really children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the, the best they knew how, but God's discipline is good for us so that we might share his holiness. Now listen to this. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. 
Is it fun to spank your children? Is it fun to correct them? It's not enjoyable. It's painful for the child. How many of you mamas have said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, right? <laughs> but afterwards, say that word. Afterwards. Now that Zach and my older children are trained and three of them married, afterwards I'm seeing the fruit of what I invested. It's painful why it's happening, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So just as we are training our children, it's not always fun, it's painful, it's not always easy. God is doing the same with us. So when they're younger... In those early days, there's a lot of physical training, how to brush your teeth, how to get dressed, stop pee-peeing in your underwear, please. Superman does not appreciate it. <laughs> there's a lot of physical, but somewhere around the age of eight, it begins to shift and start dealing more with their soul and their spirit. Yes, we deal with that when they're younger. We do to a degree. We tell them, three-year-old, tell your brother you're sorry for taking his toy, that is dealing with spiritual things, how to forgive, how to share, how to be unselfish. But by somewhere between 8 and 12, a lot of our discipline is having to do with their spirit and their soul and training them. They should know how to deal, brush their teeth by 8 years old. So then it turns to things, what your mama said. I called this message, grow up. It's time to grow up. But I, I almost called it what your mama said. <laughs> How many of you know there's those sayings? So yes, mama says brush your teeth, all those different things. But there's some sayings that maybe your mama said that I said as a mama. Or maybe you didn't have a great mama, but you heard a neighbor say it. Or a grandmother or a teacher, some of these phrases. But a lot of these phrases that we say as mamas really are biblical principles. What does that mean? A biblical principle is something in the Bible that gives us how to live a principle, how to live our life by. And when we apply it, it brings that peaceful fruit of righteousness. It brings joy. It brings peace. So what are some of those things that our mamas begin to say as we got older? You probably know some of them. If you can't say something nice, there you go. Did you know that's actually in the Bible? You probably didn't know that. Maybe some of our mamas didn't even know that. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Another word says, don't let any unwholesome word, something not nice, come out of your mouth. But let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. In other words, every word that you say and even what you say behind people's back should be encouraging edifying, building them up. So what your mama said, if you can't say something nice, then don't say anything at all. What are some other things that mama would say? Don't you roll those eyes at me. <laughs> or pretty is, as pretty does. What was mama dealing with? She was dealing with our attitude. She was getting to the heart of things. Those rolled eyes were saying, I don't like this training. I don't like what you're telling me to do. But mama knew what was best. That verse, and my children know, I would quote this verse a lot to them. Philippians 2, 
Verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. Anybody have some kids that argue? <laughs> Another version says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Anybody's kids grumble? Oh, mom, do I have to take the trash out? Yes, you do, because I'm getting old, and, <laughs> and you need to learn. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. So what was mama saying when she said, pretty is as pretty as, or don't roll your eyes? She was saying, your attitude needs to be good because the world is looking at you to see if you're going to be a shining and bright light for Jesus. And if you carry an attitude out into the world, how are they going to see Jesus? How are they going to see Jesus? But if your words and your attitude and yes, ma'am, goes with them, people are like, what's different about you? You're a bright and shining light. What else would mama say? Sometimes mama is not just disciplining, but she's bringing encouragement. Daughter, son, this too shall pass. That comes out of the Bible. There's a season for everything. Don't worry. It's going to get better. This will not be your life forever. It's going to be okay. Another phrase some of you might know is, a little birdie told me. <laughs> Or how many of you said, my mama must have eyes in the back of her head <laughs> and really good hearing. Who is that little birdie? Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit. A mama knows. A mama can look at her child and go, something isn't right. Something's going on. You can feel it. You can sense it. And sometimes we, ha we have to learn to listen to that Holy Spirit. I can remember uh, years ago when our older four... We're still in the house, and it was probably the older three. One of our sons came one night, and sometimes, you know, they come and ask to do things. And I think as parents, if we can give them a reason why it's a no, that's helpful. But sometimes we can't. I say yes as much as I can. But there's times the Holy Spirit is like, no, not going to do that. We're not going there. So I remember this one son came, Mama. I know it's the 4th of July weekend. A bunch of my friends are having a big bonfire out in the woods, and it's such and such birthday. Can I go? And immediately I was kind of like, I don't, I don't feel so good about that. Is there any parents going to be there? No, we're all just going to get together and celebrate. And, and I was like, that little birdie told me, like, no. So he kept at it. This was one of our arguing sons. We always told him he should have been a lawyer, but he's not. But... <laughs> So, of course, go to the dad. You go to the mom first, right? Because she's a pushover. Well, I wasn't that pushover kind of mom. Well, sometimes, but. <laughs> so go to the dad. Dad, can I go to this big bonfire? We talk about it. We think about it. We pray about it. We're like, no, we just don't feel good about that. So we were like, no, you're not going. You're not going. So he didn't go. It was on a Saturday. Sunday, we get up, go to church. Everything's great. Monday, he gets up and goes to school. I pick him up from school, and I'll never forget driving out of Jennings High School and stopping at that light right there on cutting as I was going to come home, and he's like, hey, mom. I'm like, what? He said, remember that big bonfire that I wanted to go to? I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, today at school, everybody was talking because 17 kids got arrested for underage drinking at that bonfire. I didn't have to say, I told you. I just had to nod my head. 
He knew the Holy Spirit speaks to mama. The Holy Spirit speaks to daddy. That little birdie had told me. So it was a training. I didn't have to rub it in. He was being trained. He was being disciplined that sometimes people are put in your life like your mother and your father. And Maybe you don't have a mother and father that trained you or disciplined, but hopefully in this family or other people in your life help to bring training and discipline to you. So what are we doing as a mama? Like I said, we're training to launch them out, to mature them. And I couldn't help think this morning, I can't help think that isn't that exactly what God does to us? At one point in our life, we're born into his family. We're born again. We get to know him personally. And he begins to train us. It's okay at one point to be that little baby just learning how to read the Bible, but we can't stay a baby forever, can we? If, if I was still feeding and caring for Zach at 32 years old and he was doing nothing, no job and not contributing, it just wouldn't be right. It's not the order of things. And God is doing the same thing with us. He's trying to get us to grow up and to mature in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews even talks about this in chapter 5. He was talking to some believers who knew God, who had accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they were immature. They were immature. And he says in, chapter, uh, in verse 12 of chapter 5, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things of God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. And the Apostle Paul talked a lot of times about milk and solid food, how when you come to know Christ, he's like, you can't drink milk forever. If all Zach was still drinking, my oldest, was milk, he wouldn't, I don't even know if he'd be alive. You have to, at one point in your Christian walk, transition to solid food and begin to feed yourself. And even Peter talks about that in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. It says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. You ever been tricked by a lie? You want to know how to not be tricked? Get into God's word because that's the truth for your soul. When you know the truth, you'll recognize a lie and go, uh-uh, that's a lie because God's word tells me this, that I am loved, I am chosen, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So when the devil comes and says, you're rejected, no, I'm not. God has accepted me. God loves me. So you won't be influence when people try to trick you. So clever, they sound like the truth. Doesn't it sometimes sound like the truth? Nobody loves you. That sounds like the truth sometimes, but that's a lie. The creator of the universe loves you, and there's many other people that love you. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He was actually talking to a lot of Jewish believers who were immature, and they wanted to still blend in with their culture. Well, let's not tell them we're followers of Jesus, because then we might be rejected as a Jew. They wanted to still go have their fun and live their life like they had never changed, so they could be part of the culture. And so Paul and Peter were saying, come on, it's time to mature. Quit worrying about what people think about you. It's time to grow up. 
And so when Paul gives this verse, actually the few verses before it is talking about pastors, leaders like myself, Pastor Baba, Pastor Josh, Miss Lindsay, and how our job is to equip you. Just like a mama's job, at one time I fed Zach with this spoon. So my job is to feed you so you will grab a hold of the spoon, feed yourself, and then that person begins to feed others. God is wanting you to grow up. Church should not be a daycare. It's a place where you grow up and you graduate. So to mature, number one, if you're taking notes, you have to have a desire to grow. You have to have a desire to grow. Peter says in, in chapter 2, 1 Peter, you must crave spiritual nourishment so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for nourishment. Cry out for nourishment like newborn babies. You remember that newborn baby some of you brought home? What do they do a lot? They cry. Why? Because they're hungry. And sometimes they're not hungry. They just need to be held. Sometimes they're tired and they just need to be rocked. They're crying out. And that's what God is telling us. Cry out. To show your mature, you let people know, I'm hungry. I want to grow. But the second thing is, you cannot expect me to feed you or your pastors for the rest of your life with this. You have to learn to nourish yourself. And that's point two. You've got to learn to nourish yourself. How do you do that? Anybody heard of the Bible? <laughs> Open it. Begin to read it. Begin to pray and say, God, show me what this means. How can I live my life according to this? You have to begin to pray. What is praying? Just talking to God. God, I need you. I don't know how to live this life. Could you help me? Could you help me? And you've got to learn to listen to that little birdie, the Holy Spirit, who speaks to you. The third thing, you have to, learn, you have to practice and exercise. Practice and exercise makes perfect. I did not learn what I know now in just one day or one year. I have been reading the Bible over and over and over for years. I know Lindsay loves to work out, and she knows to become perfect, you have to exercise over and over and over. I remember when she was making a video to do her thing, she had to keep redoing it to get it perfect. But now that she's exercised and does all this CrossFit, she's strong. Her muscles are good. But she didn't, it didn't come easy. It took a lot of sweat, a lot of hard work. I've seen her after a workout where her face is completely red because it's work. It's work. There's, you think there's mornings that I get up and I go, praise God, I can read the Bible today. There's some mornings I'm like, I don't want to read the Bible. But you know what? I open it anyways. I don't feel like praying today. Some mornings I want to, some I don't. But I find that every time that I start, God feeds me. Something always pops out and go, wow, that's good. That tastes so good. One of the phrases I didn't say that we say to our kids all the time is eat your vegetables, right? <laughs> 
Why do they need to eat their vegetables? Because it's good for them. Because it makes them strong. And sometimes when they first taste it, they don't like it. And sometimes we're the same way. Sometimes we, we start to practice reading our body and, and praying. And it doesn't seem so easy and it doesn't taste so good at first. But once we quit, we start eating healthy things, it begins to taste better and better. A few times in my life, I've done a thing where for like six weeks, I go on a fast of all sugar. And the funny thing is, when the fast comes to an end and I go to eat sugar, it tastes terrible, like awful. Why? Because the vegetables have begun to taste good. Sometimes when you start to practice these things, it's not so easy. It doesn't taste so good. But the more you do it, the more you crave it. Now that I've known the Lord 45 years, I was 12 years old when I gave my life to Christ. I can open the word and it instantly speaks to me. Or I instantly begin to weep because... I've learned to feed myself. So the last thing, the fourth thing, it takes time and it takes patience. And it takes, you might fall down, then you got to get up. You might fall down, you got to get up. You've seen those babies learning to walk. Sometimes it's two months before they walk good. And that's not, I'm saying it's going to take you two months to grow up, but it takes them time and practice and hitting their heads on that coffee table and falling down and whacking the back of their head. They've got to practice at it. So how do you know if you're grown up or not? There's some characteristics. What do babies look like? First of all, babies don't listen, do they? <laughs> they don't. If you tell them, no, no, don't touch, they go back again and again and again. They just don't listen. You want to grow up, learn to listen to God. Learn to listen to people in your life. Learn to listen to your life group leaders when they tell you, hey, there's something in your life you need to work on. Listen and receive instruction. They also, babies, rebel. I can remember our second son. He always had to push the line. When we lived in Lafayette on Sunny Lane near Lafayette High, we had this house uh, the driveway was concrete, but the road was asphalt. And so we, it, it made like a line, and we would tell them, don't cross this line. Don't get on the street. You're going to get hit by a car. Something bad can happen to you. You know how it is, mamas. Well, he would go right up to the line like this, and then he would look at it, and then he'd look to see if me or my husband are looking, and he'd go like that. Spake your little booty. He, did, he was a rebel. I don't want to stay in the lines. I want to do my own thing. But he didn't understand the danger. He didn't know the danger. Sometimes tell you, people tell you things in your life because they're older and wiser and they know the danger. Maybe they're just older in the Lord or older in age, but they know, they see, just like a mama sees. They also display jealousy. So I have five boys and a girl, but the first four boys were really kind of raised together, and four boys are like a pack of wolves. They really are. And there was so much jealousy. He had the blue cup last time. I said, I wanted it. I don't want the red cup. And, you know, just things you're like, really? It, the milk tastes the same in the blue cup as it does the red cup. His cookie is bigger, bigger than mine. Mine's broken. They display jealousy. That's immaturity. They cause strife. Ever heard of sibling rivalry? Strife. I'm learning with girls. I never experienced this, but sixth, seventh, and eighth grade girls, there's a lot of drama. I'm like, oh my gosh, 
Thank God I had five boys and it wasn't the other way around because I'm like, whoo, there's a lot of strife, immaturity. So how do you know if you're a mature adult spiritually? How do you know if you've grown up? Like Paul said, stop being immature and stop drinking milk. Adults are trained and discerning. They're trained and discerning. They know the word of God. They promote unity, not jealousy like babies. They promote unity. Let's all work together. Let's all edify one another. Let's come together rather than bringing division like those seventh grade girls are doing. Let's work together. They display Christ's character. What is character? Character is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Are those things like bright, shining lights in your life? Are you displaying those character qualities? And they're mature thinkers when that thought comes that I'm not wanted, I'm not loved, I don't have anything to give. They have the maturity to go, that's a lie. When that thought comes, we're not going to make it. That's a lie. God is my provider. When that thought comes, nobody cares. Yes, they do. That's not true. They're mature thinkers. They know and they recognize and they see the lies and they're able to go, this is the truth and I'm going to stand on that rock of the truth. So it's time to grow up, right? As a mama, I am getting more and more relieved. I have four children out of the house. Someone once told me, I'm so sad that I have an empty nest. I'm like, I can hardly wait till I have an empty nest. <laughs> Maybe it's because it was so long, you know. My youngest is only 13 and my oldest is 32. But I'm like, but moms do tell me that have the empty nest. You know, they were very sad. They cried. But a week later, they're like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is great. I'm free. But the funny thing is your children still call you, Dad, my phone broke. What do I do? It, you never stop being a mama. And then now I'm worried because my oldest grandchild is nine years old. I'm like, oh, gosh, the teenage years are now coming with him soon. Um, so it, it never stops. But um, it's time to grow up. And what God is calling us to do is grow up in him. To grow up in him. Learn to feed yourself. Learn to feed on God's word and to pray. And to get involved. Maybe some of you are in here and you're saying, well, Miss Tracy, I'm just a baby. I really haven't had a personal relationship with Jesus longer than three months or a year. Or I just started coming to this church. That's okay. God is full of grace and mercy. When my children were crawling, I didn't go kick them and say, get up and walk. It's time to walk. I knew it would come as a process. So some of you might just be babies. That's okay. Or maybe there's some of you in here and you're like, Miss Tracy, I don't even know if I've spiritually even been born yet and started a new life. In the Gospel of John chapter 3, there was a Pharisee, and his name was Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus during the middle of the night one time because he was afraid of what the other Pharisees would think of him. But he came, he's like, Jesus, can I ask you a few questions, rabbi, teacher? And he said, 
I know that you must come from God because I see all the great miracles you do. I hear your teachings and you have to have come from God. And you think Jesus would go, yes, yes I do. I'm the son of God. He didn't say that. He didn't say, you're right, I am a great teacher. I am a great miracle worker. He didn't identify himself. He just looked at him and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's like, Rabbi, how can I be born again? I'm a grown man. Am I supposed to crawl back in my mother's womb? Come out again? How, how, how can I do that? No, 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 Nicodemus. What I'm saying is you need to be spiritually born. And how many of you in here, maybe you feel like, man, I wish I could be born again and start this life over again. I wish I could just go back in my mother's womb, restart. But the good news is you really can start over. You really can. How many of you feel like, sometimes like, I wish I could have a fresh start, just wipe the slate clean. Everything I've gone through, all the wounds, all the pain, every terrible choice I've made, I wish I could start over. But the truth is, Jesus was saying, you can. You can be born again. And today you can say, I'm starting a new life. The old things are passed away. And behold, he makes all things new. And that's the beauty of what Jesus was saying, is you can start over. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if there's some of you in here say, Miss Tracy, that's me. I wish I could start over. Just raise your hand as a sign to God that I want to be born again and start over. Thank you. Anyone else? I wish I could just start over. Be born again. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put them down when you raise your hands. Thank you. Can we all just pray this together? Father God, thank you that your word says I can be born again. I come to you with all my sin, all my junk, all my past, and I lay it at the foot of your cross. I thank you that you shed your blood for me to give me a new life in you that the old life has passed away. And behold, the new has come. I give you my heart. I pray that you would make me a new person. I declare you as Lord and Savior of my life. Come into my heart and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.